Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Miracles. Do they occur? Have they occurred in the past? Are they even possible? We're doing a lot of research right now because we're doing a TV series on miracles beginning here next week. We're recording it. It won't air till later in the year. Later in the year, uh, but I've uh, started to read a book that uh, I've had on my shelf for a number of years now. It's by Craig Keener. I don't know if you know who Keener is, but Craig Keener is a prolific scholar on New Testament issues. When Craig Keener writes a book, he's got a he's got a footnote just about after every phrase. I mean, this guy is a researcher extraordinaire. And back in about 2011, he wrote a book called Miracles. It actually it's such it's such a voluminous book. It's two books. It's two volumes, two hernia-inducing sets, volume one and volume two, over 1,100 pages on this topic, Miracles. The subtitle is The Credibility of the New Testament Accounts. And Keener covers this topic from every angle, and he gets quite a bit into what is known as modern-day miracles, miracles not just of the New Testament, but miracles that have occurred since the New Testament, even up to current day. Well, Lee Strobel, the gentleman, as you know, who's written several case books, sent me an advanced copy of his new book, The Case for Miracles. Now, we'll have Lee on the program in a couple of weeks to talk about this because the book comes out, I think, uh, I think March 27th. And I've read through this entire book to put an endorsement on it. An excellent work, as always, from Lee. And as I go through these books, looking at the evidence not only for the miracles of Jesus, but the miracles that may be occurring now around the world, I come to the conclusion that there are unusual events occurring, and many of them probably are miracles that rival the miracles that we read about in the New Testament accounts. Now, even if I'm wrong about that, or Keener's wrong about that, because he's the one doing all the primary research, the question is, do the miracles of the New Testament, are they miracles that we can actually believe in? I mean, aren't miracle accounts in the Bible myths and fables? Weren't the Bible writers gullible? Hasn't science disproven miracles? And didn't David Hume disprove miracles? Isn't a natural explanation always more likely than suggesting a supernatural one? And aren't miracle claims really just God of the gaps fallacies? You know, we're just plugging God into the gap and one day we'll figure out that it wasn't a miracle. And don't miracle stories violate natural laws? And why don't we see biblical miracles today, people will say. We don't see part, you know, parting of the Red Sea or people walking on water or resurrecting from the dead. If miracles occurred back then, why don't they occur now? And why should I believe what I haven't actually seen? What about miracles of other religions? Don't other religions have miracles? And if they do, don't they kind of cancel out what Christianity says about its miracles? And aren't really faith healers, aren't they charlatans? What about 
What about people who aren't healed through these faith healers? And what about unanswered prayers for healing? These are all questions that I'm going to try and investigate when I do the TV series, but I thought maybe we'd hit on some of these issues today. We can't obviously cover all of that, and maybe we'll do some future radio programs on it. But I wanted to start by about what is a miracle and what isn't a miracle. And we cover this in our book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, Dr. Norman Geiser and I. There are at least six different categories of unusual events. Six different categories. Maybe uh, several years ago, I may have covered this on the radio program. It's time to revisit it. Uh, Because not everything that is unusual is a miracle. Uh, For example, there are anomalies. There's also magic. There's psychosomatic issues or psychosomatic events that occur. There are even satanic signs if Christianity is true. And then there's divine providence. Those are five unusual events that aren't miracles, but we sometimes might suggest that they're miracles. And maybe we can discuss some of these and then talk about maybe some of the miracles of the New Testament and even maybe some modern-day miracles at some point either on this program or a future program. Let's talk about anomalies for a second. What are anomalies? Uh, An anomaly is something that is a physical event that's sort of a freak of nature that it seems to be a natural event, but you can't explain it naturally. Uh, For example, for many years, there were, or scientists couldn't figure out how a bumblebee could fly a bumblebee because a bumblebee's wings are aren't big enough for its body the aspect ratio on the wings just aerodynamically it shouldn't be able to fly and so for a long time scientists couldn't figure out how a bumblebee could fly but bumblebees fly all the time it's a natural event with a pattern no one suggested it was a miracle we just couldn't figure out what the what the natural explanation was for it, although we knew there must have been a natural explanation. It was an anomaly, something that couldn't be explained. Well, eventually scientists did figure it out. The bumblebee has some kind of power pack on it, which allows it to fly despite the fact that its wings shouldn't allow it to fly given the, the, the size of the body. So we did ultimately figure it out. Uh, But for a while, it was a freak of nature. Now, no one should consider a bumblebee flying or should have considered a bumblebee flying a miracle. It was an anomaly. So that's one unusual type of an event that we can't confuse with miracles. Another unusual type of event that we ought not confuse with miracles is magic. And, you know, some magicians are so good that you might, you might, think they're actually doing a miracle you know can david copperfield make the statue of liberty disappear or something like that and you go wow how did he do that that appears like it's not there anymore and uh you figure out that actually it's a sleight of hand of some kind the power is not divine it's a it's human power it's uh it's unnatural and it's it's completely man controlled like for example uh say you pull a rabbit out of a hat you know there didn't appear to be a rabbit in there But somehow the uh, magician has pulled a rabbit out of the hat. Well, it's unnatural in the sense that, first of all, rabbits don't live in hats. And so it's kind of unnatural in that regard. And it is completely man-controlled. It is a sleight of hand. It's not actually a miracle. You know, he's not creating a rabbit out of nothing inside a hat and pulling it out. He's got some kind of trick that he does. In fact, years ago... 
I saw the Penn and Teller show. You guys know what Penn and Teller or their magicians, they also happen to be atheists, pretty outspoken atheists, particularly uh, Penn, because Teller doesn't say much, as you know. And they put on a great magic show. And they come out and they do this one trick and you're going, wow, that's pretty amazing how they do that. And then they show the audience actually how they did it. And after they show it to you, you go, wow, why didn't I see that before? It makes sense now, but looking at it prior to that, I couldn't quite figure it out. Now I can figure it out and because they've shown it to me and we realize it's not a miracle in any sense. It's a human sleight of hand. So the second type of unusual event is magic. By the way, again, all this is in our book. Uh, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, what I'm talking about here. So if you really want to dive down on these different distinctions between unusual events, you can do so because quite frequently... We Christians can sometimes call something a miracle that isn't really a miracle, and that doesn't do justice to things that really are miracles. And by the way, for those of you that uh, I, I, I need to let you know, we've, we've got an event, a new event coming up that we haven't run before. It's called Advanced CIA, coming up in just a couple of months. And the deadline for applying to Advanced CIA, the Advanced Cross-Examined Instructor Academy, is next week, the 15th of, of March. So if you want to be a part of that, if you've been through CIA already and or you have significant apologetics experience and you want to improve your presentation skills, you want to apply to advanced CIA, but we only have a few seats left. If you want to be a part of it, you need to apply like pronto, like now, because the 15th, it closes up and uh, we've got to uh, move forward because the event is May 3rd to 5th here in Charlotte, North Carolina. All the details are on our website, crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it, .org. So check that out. And traditional CIA is in August. You got to get on that quickly, too. I'm Frank Turk. We're back in just a couple of minutes to talk more about miracles. What are miracles? What aren't miracles? Don't go away. Miracles. Do they occur? And are they occurring now is the question. And what about the miracles of the New Testament? Should we believe those? Well, I guess, friends, if you if you can't believe those, you can't be a Christian because you got to believe Jesus rose from the dead to be a Christian, according to Romans 10.9. And, of course, if Jesus really did rise from the dead, then Christianity is true because he predicted and accomplished his own resurrection, proving he was God, which means whatever God teaches is true. And Jesus taught the entire Old Testament as the word of God. So if the New Testament's just reliable with regard to what happened to Jesus, and you get the Old Testament thrown in, and Christianity, therefore, then would be true if the miracle of the resurrection actually did occur. We'll, we'll get to that later or in another program. We're kind of giving an overview right now of what is a miracle and what isn't a miracle. And uh, I've been through a couple of unusual events. First, anomalies. Now we're going to talk about, or we just talked about magic before the break. There's a third type of unusual event, that can be sometimes confused to be a miracle when it really isn't. And that's a psychosomatic cure. Psychosomatic cure. That's a kind of a mind over matter situation where somebody gets healed, but they get healed through a natural means. Uh, they, they, they have kind of a mental block, and that mental block is relieved, and they are suddenly healed. It requires faith. Uh, and an example would be a psychosomatic cure. I'll, I'll, I'll relate a story that uh, Dr. Geiser always would tell when we were on the road together talking about psychosomatic events. He would say for years that he had what he thought was an allergy to flowers 
whenever he'd get around flowers, his his uh, eyes would well up. He'd start sneezing, and uh, he was on this actually this pretty strong allergy medication for many years. And one at one point, he was uh, preaching at a church, and he got to the church early to get set up, and he went up to the pulpit to get set up up there, and uh, he noticed that around the pulpit were some flowers. And as soon as he noticed them, he, he began to well up. His uh, eyes started to water. He started to sneeze. And he said to one of the elders who was standing there in the sanctuary at the time, he said, hey, you guys are going to have to move these flowers because uh, I won't be able to preach. I have an allergy to flowers. And the elder stopped and he looked at him and he said, they're plastic, <laughs> meaning the flowers. And Geisler said to himself, self, you just sneezed at plastic flowers. I mean... That he, he said, that allergy has to be in your head. It's got to be a psychosomatic thing. And he threw away his allergy medication and hasn't had a problem since. Now, that doesn't mean all allergies are psychosomatic. Don't get me wrong. But in Geisler's case, it was. And he noticed it by simply realizing at one point he was reacting to plastic flowers. It had nothing to do with flowers. It was a psychosomatic allergy that he had in his head. And there are many times that people will claim they've been cured of something when in fact it wasn't really a cure directly from God. It was a psychosomatic mind over matter situation. That's just one example. Keener has several examples in his book on miracles. Craig Keener, for those of you just tuning in, uh, the very prolific New Testament scholar Craig Keener has a two-volume book on miracles that not only gives reasons uh, why arguments against miracles don't really work, like David Hume's argument, and I don't know if we'll get to it today, but uh, Keener gets to it in his book, and he goes through and gives hundreds of examples of miracles or at least unusual events that have occurred uh, in modern times. And uh, he does that in the two-volume book called Miracles. And Lee Strobel, my friend, is coming out with a new book called The Case for Miracles. It comes out in a couple of weeks. I have an advanced copy uh, because I put an endorsement on it and I've read the whole thing. It's a great book. In fact, as I say, we'll have Lee on in a couple of weeks to talk about this. So keep that in mind. Stay tuned for that. Uh, So we've got anomalies. We've got magic. We've got psychosomatic cures. The fourth type of unusual event are satanic signs. Now that's obviously, that comes from the other side. It's a demonic power. It's an evil power. It's usually associated with evil, falsehood, the occult, and it's limited in its power. Uh, Satan, if he exists at all, of course I believe he does, his power is limited. He can't say resurrect the dead. If he could resurrect the dead, then the resurrection might be a big deceptive sign to get us off track of the true God. Because if Satan can resurrect the dead, how do we know he didn't resurrect Jesus? Uh, And Jesus is a false prophet in that sense. Uh, No, Satan cannot do what God can do. He might be able to do things that that seem like signs, false signs as the New Testament calls them, but they're not the same as uh, what God can do. And this is a very interesting unusual sign, as you can imagine. In fact, Keener in his book talks a lot about exorcisms and talks about what appear to be 
quite obvious demon possession and demonic the demonic realm. And if you look at the Bible, the Bible in many cases talks about certain practices that are linked to demonic power. Witchcraft certainly is linked to demonic power. If you look at Deuteronomy 18, fortune telling, same thing, Deuteronomy 18. Communicating with spirits, same, Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18 has a lot on divination, communicating with spirits or mediums. Just check out Deuteronomy 18, verses 10 and 11. Also, astrology is associated with demonic power. Uh, Deuteronomy 4, 19, Isaiah 47 talks about astrology and how it's linked to demonic power. You know, Christopher Hitchens had a great point in his book, uh, God is not great, you know, as you know, I've debated Hitchens a couple of times, and one of the points he makes in his book, I mean, a lot of, there's a lot of truth in Hitchens' book, what, what he says is astrology is obvious nonsense because it's easily seen as nonsense because two people with the same birthday don't have the same future. <laughs> so if you're going to say astrology somehow has some predictive capacity, then why don't the same people or, the, or two different people born on the same day have the same future? Also, heresy or false teaching is linked with demonic power. If you look at 1 Timothy 4 or 1 John 4, it links heresy or false teaching with demonic power. Uh, the idea that you can have, uh, or, or the, the very, the very uh, subject of immorality is associated with demonic power. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about it. Or self-deification. Genesis 3, where... Satan basically says, has God said, you know, you can be like God. You can be like God. In fact, that's where, if you think about it, most false teachings have something to do with saying or asserting that you can be like God. Self-deification. The New Age movement is all about that. Mormonism, you can be like God. You're going to be a God someday, according to Mormons. It's a false viewpoint. Self-deification is associated with that. Uh, I'm trying to think of one other one that came to my mind a minute ago, and I, why can't I think of it now? You know how when you get older, you start to lose your train of... Uh, train of... Yes, thank you, thought. Anyway, there's, there's another instance where, well... I mentioned the New Age movement, Mormonism, same kind of thing that you can be like God. In many cases, most people, look, everybody worships something. And there's, there's really only two religions, if you really think. You can boil them all down to two categories. You're either worshiping the creator or some aspect of the creation. And people who don't worship the creator often are worshiping some aspect of the creation. And sometimes it's themselves. You know, my religion is I get to do whatever I want. My religion is you can't tell me what to do. I am the master of my own destiny. I get to decide what's right and wrong. The compass of life always points to me. There's no true north out there. The compass of life points to me. Now that obviously has a lot of problems. We won't get into them now. But this whole idea that I am God, in fact, when, when, I, when I ask, as I say, when I ask atheists the question, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? And on college campuses, many of them will say no. It just happened last week. They'll say no. Why? Because they don't want there to be a God. They want to be God. They want to be masters of their own fate. 
in their own life. They don't want to have to bow to anyone else. That, in effect, is some sort of self-deification. They're worshiping themselves and their own autonomy. And by the way, Christians aren't clean on this either because we don't always worship the creation. A lot of times we are, or the creator, I should say. We're not always worshiping the creator. We quite often have idols in our way, and those idols are part of the creation, and we're worshiping that. Also, what's linked to demonic power? Lying. John 8, 44. Your father is the devil, Jesus says. Jesus, that's not very Christ-like of you. <laughs> Come on, friends. We got the wrong idea of who Jesus was if you thought he was soft and sweet all the time. You haven't read Matthew chapter 23 or John chapter 8. In fact, Jesus calls Satan a liar and a murderer. And he calls the Pharisees, he calls them out and says, your father is basically Satan. Gee, that's not very nice, Jesus. Yeah, read the text. Jesus, quite frequently, was very harsh with people who said they were believers and really weren't. They were far from God. Idolatry is associated with demonic power. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 19 to 20. Even legalism and self Denial in the sense that we've got to we we've got to be uh, we've got to be uh, completely detached from the world. We can't be involved in any kind of comforts. Paul talks about that in First Timothy chapter four. That's associated with demonic power or the actions of demons. What really? Yeah, read it. 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 4. So there's a lot associated with demonic power. The Bible is very clear on this. And I think that you're naive if you don't think there is some demonic activity out there. Here's what 1 Timothy 4 says. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times or later times, people will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciousness have been seared with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is to be received with thanksgiving because it has been consecrated because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. More on miracles and other unusual events when we come back. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Back in two minutes. Tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen, well, actually tonight, if you're near Waycross, Georgia, I'm going to be at uh, First Baptist Waycross uh, tonight doing I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, 6 to 9, uh, right there in Waycross, Georgia at First Baptist. You can go to crossexamined.org for uh, details on the event. And I'm going there right now just to make sure I'm not speaking out of turn. Uh, let's see. Let's make sure I got everything right here. Yes, it's First Baptist tonight at 6.30. And then tomorrow morning at 10.30. And don't forget, by the way, spring and forward on Saturday night. And you're going to lose an hour of sleep. 
daylight savings time. So uh, 10.30 at First Baptist Waycross, I'll be finishing the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist presentation. Hope to see you there. And then don't forget Vanderbilt University out in Nashville, Monday, March 19th. And uh, the week after that, we're going to be at Murray State University, March 27th. And we're going to be doing a community event in Paducah, Kentucky, uh, the day after that, March 28th. All the details on our website, crossexamined.org. And those events are always fun because you quite frequently have atheists showing up and asking questions. So tune into that. Like our Facebook page, crossexamined.org on the Facebook page. Also like the other Facebook page, Dr. Frank Turek. And uh, sign up, subscribe to our, our one email of a week. Uh, we send out a video, one, one time a week. And that video is a short, usually a Q&A video from a debate or from a college campus event that you can share with your friends. Normally these videos are short, two to five minutes or so. And people like them because we get, you have to get to the point quickly when you're answering a question. And uh, there's usually some give and take, which makes it for an interesting video. If you want to see those videos, just go to subscribe on our website. You'll see it right across the top. We also have some online courses coming up that you can click on, including the new Why I Still Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist uh, and uh, the, uh, the new Theology 101 course is up there. So you can check all that out at crossexamined.org. Talking about... My friend Craig Keener's book, Miracles, The Credibility of the New Testament Accounts, Do Miracles Really Occur? Well, one day we're going to get Craig on this program. I've actually uh, only spoken to him briefly once, but this book is phenomenal. Check this out. Here's what he says on page 815. <laughs> it's a two-volume book. It's not an easy read. It's not a short read, that's for sure. But here's what he says is on page, on page 815. I had an opportunity while briefly visiting a country in Asia before lecturing in another location in 2007 to talk to some Chinese pastors. Although these pastors were not charismatic or Pentecostals, when I spontaneously asked if any of them had firsthand accounts of healings, several offered exorcism accounts. For example, one eyewitness recounted that in 1994, a woman could not remember her identity and began having hallucinations. When the believers prayed, two spirits began speaking to them through the woman. The spirits threw her down before, before them, crying, please leave us. We can't be, bear more about Jesus. The spirits tried to negotiate conditions, finally settling on eating a meal through the woman. The possessed woman ate an inordinate amount of food, and then the spirits left, never returning. Similarly, an elderly woman pastor mentioned a 30-year-old woman with a psychological problem to whom everything seemed unreal. Sometimes she felt pressed down on the floor. Now she was pale, not having eaten for several days. Half an hour after the pastor's prayer, casting out a demon in Jesus' name, the woman felt ready to eat. She was completely cured of her sickness. There was no merely temporary cure without the pro possibility of a long-term verification. She is now the worship leader in the pastor's church. And Keener goes on and on with all of these examples. Now, did that really happen? Well, there's too many of these accounts to conclude, in my opinion anyway, that none of them are true. In fact, Keener goes on to mention that at least a quarter of a billion people around the world 
say they have witnessed some kind of event like this, either a miracle, a healing, an exorcism, a demonic activity, something that appears to be beyond the normal. In fact, you know, friends, you know this, that if, if um, atheism, materialistic atheism is true, that means that every so-called or assumed spiritual event in the history of the world has been false. Every one of them. Every so-called miracle or psychosomatic or demonic sign or exorcism, every single spiritual event in the history of the world has to be false if atheistic materialism is true. Now, is it possible? Yeah, it's possible, just not likely. In fact, according to Lee Strobel, his new book, The Case for Miracles, he says at least 94 million Americans admit to, some, to, to witnessing some sort of miracle or highly unusual event. In fact, let me see how he words it here because I don't want to speak out of turn. I have his book here. Again, uh, Strobel's book comes out in a couple weeks, and uh, I may have to, uh, I think it was 94 million. I just got to be sure of that. Well, it was about that. <laughs> it's, I can't seem to find it in the book right now. I've got this book all marked up, as you always do when you get a Lee Strobel book, because one thing Lee does so well is that he he gets the best evidence, and he puts it in a very readable format. He talks to the best scholars and whether the scholars can communicate or not, um, he can communicate what they mean. In fact, here, here it is on Strobel's book, page 23. He says, as it turns out, nearly two out of five adults, U.S. adults, 38%, said they have had such an experience, which means an eye-popping 94,792,000 Americans are convinced that God has performed at least one miracle for them personally. That is an astonishing number. Now, maybe they're wrong. Maybe it's not a real miracle. Maybe it's just divine providence. In fact, that's the fifth kind of unusual event that we need to discuss. We have already discussed anomalies, magic, psychosomatic cures, and satanic signs. Let's now say a word or two about divine providence. What's divine providence? That's prearranged events. The power is divine. God is involved. But it's naturally explained. It's spiritual. It's a spiritual event, or it's in a spiritual context. Like, for example, the fog at Normandy. The fog helped obscure, obscure the Allied attack at Normandy. Look, it was June. I don't know if they have fog over there normally in June. Uh, June 6th, 1944. The fog did obscure our attack, but fog is not a miracle. I mean, fog happens all the time, right? It's a natural event. It wasn't like our soldiers walked across water to get to Normandy, or it's not as if bullets bounced off their chests. That, that would be a miracle. But this was a potentially divinely arranged, prearranged event. It's naturally explained, but it's in a spiritual context. Maybe even a better example would be George Washington and his army in Brooklyn. In 1776, this is well documented by uh, David McCullough, or I should say uh, explained by David McCullough in his book, 1776, where he points out that in 1776, 
Washington was being pursued across Brooklyn by the British uh, from the east to the west. So he was about to run up to the East River. And uh, he was about to be wiped out when one afternoon the Brits decide, well, they're not going to press the attack the rest of the afternoon. They're going to set up camp and finish Washington off in the morning. Now, of course, at that time, there's no Brooklyn Bridge going from Brooklyn into the Manhattan. Yet Washington realizes he has to get his men to the Manhattan side of the river. Otherwise, he's going to be wiped out and probably the revolution would, would not have gone forward or the struggle for independence. So Washington sets up camp. And throughout the night, he tries to shuttle his army across the East River to Manhattan on rowboats. He's trying to get them all across there. The problem is he's doing this all night. As daylight comes, he realizes that he's not going to be able to get everybody across in time. And the men that are remain or that do remain on the Brooklyn side of the East River are totally going to get massacred because their numbers are so low. Yet, just at the right time, a very dense fog just falls into the Brooklyn side of the East River. A pea soup fog. You know, you can't see your hand in front of your face hardly. And so the Brits can't attack. Yet, Washington keeps shuttling his army across the East River. It's not foggy on the Manhattan side. And this goes on for a couple hours, two, three hours. I can't remember how long it took. But Washington... Got, was able to get his entire army across the East River, and then the fog lifted. And the Brits are going, where's Washington? He's on the other side of the East River in Manhattan. His army's safe, and the struggle for independence can continue. Now, why did that fog appear at that time just on one side of the river and not the other? Now, fog happens all the time. But in that context... Could God have so prearranged events that miracles like that occurred? Or it's not a miracle, let me correct myself. It, and a, a divinely providential event. It's divine providence. It's not a miracle. But God is behind it. And, and too often Christians will call divinely or, or divine providence events or they'll call them miracles. It's not a miracle. God didn't overpower or suspend a natural law. He may have prearranged the event, and he may have had something to do with it, but it can be explained naturally. And by the way, God does prearrange events. In fact, Paul talks about this in Acts chapter 17, when he's before the Athenians. He said, For God made the world and everything in it, uh, and the Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples built by hands. Paul says this, by the way, as he's standing in front of uh, the temple Athena right there, Athens, <laughs> and he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. And he goes on to say, from one man he made one nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him, perhaps reach out for him, and find him, though he's not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So he's talking about the fact that God has determined the exact time so people would live or where they would live so people would find him. If he determined the exact times where people should live, he could have determined that fog to roll in there in Brooklyn or the fog to roll there in on Normandy at that time. So in any event, 
There's a lot more. Let's talk about miracles when we come back. We talked about the five unusual events. Now let's go to the sixth, and that's an actual miracle. I'm Frank Turek. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek. Don't go away. Back in two. Miracles. Do they occur? Did they occur in New Testament times? Old Testament times? Did they occur today? We're not going to get to all that today, but we are pointing out the six different categories of unusual events. We've talked about anomalies. We've talked about magic. We've talked about psychosomatic cures. We've talked about satanic signs. We've talked a little bit about divine providence. And now we're going to talk about a miracle. One more thing about divine providence. Uh, Again, Christians often call divine providence a miracle. No, it's not a miracle. No, it wasn't a miracle that you met your wife or you met your husband, unless unless your spouse like walked across a lake on top of the lake to get to you. No, it wasn't a miracle. God may have prearranged it or been involved somehow naturally so that you two did meet, but it wasn't a miracle. That is what we call divine providence. What is a miracle is something that is a divine act where a supernatural power overpowers a natural law. And it's immediate. It lasts. Like if somebody's healed, they don't just, they're not healed for 10 minutes and then their, their disease is back. That could be explained naturally. But somebody who says is risen from the dead or now eventually they'll die again. Don't get me wrong. Like Lazarus at one point died again. He was resuscitated, but he was dead and, he, and Jesus brought him back to life. Or somebody that uh, has been diagnosed and has had multiple sclerosis in fact that is an actual miracle that is documented in strobel's book Uh, again the book is called the case for miracles i'm I'm referring to two major books here the one the case for miracles which comes out in a couple weeks from lee strobel another the academic two-volume hernia inducing set by craig keener aptly titled miracles and uh, this one is this one miracle in, and it can only be described as a miracle, in Strobel's book, which is actually told by Craig Keener, it's just not in his book on miracles, is, uh, is quite amazing. In fact, uh, let me get to it because it's worth talking about uh, just for a few minutes. Um, this lady, her name was Barbara, was diagnosed at the Mayo Clinic with progressive multiple sclerosis, sclerosis. and uh, the physician, one of the physicians was a Dr. Harold P. Adolph, a board-certified surgeon who performed about 25,000 operations in his career. He declared that Barbara was one of the most hopelessly ill patients I ever saw. And uh, the text goes on and says that she suffered this condition for 16 years. And her condition was so bad, so desperate, that she, she spent months in hospitals, often for pneumonia, for being unable to breathe. One diaphragm was paralyzed, rendering it lung non-functional. The other operated at less than 50%. She had a tracheotomy so she could breathe, and it, oxygen was pumped into her. She went legally blind, unable to read, only capable of seeing an object as gray shadows. She had a feeding tube in her stomach. In 1981, she hadn't walked for over seven years. Then one day, someone called in Barbara's story to the radio station of the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. 
A request was broadcast for listeners to pray fervently for her. Some 450 Christians wrote letters to her church saying they were lifting up Barbara in prayer. On Pentecost Sunday, 1981, her aunt came over to read her some of the letters in which people offered prayers for her healing. Two girlfriends joined in. Suddenly, during a lull in the conversation, Barbara heard a man's voice speak from behind her, even though there was nobody else in the room. The words were clear and articulate and spoken with great authority, but also with great compassion. The voice said, my child, get up and walk. Seeing that Barbara had become agitated, one of her friends uh, plugged the hole in her neck so she could speak. I don't know what you're going to think about this, Barbara told them, but God just told me to get up and walk. I know we really did. Run and get my family. I want them here with us. Her friends called out and yelled for her family. Come quick, come quick. Another doctor by the name of Marshall described what happened next. Here it is. Here's what he said. Barb felt compelled to do immediately what she was divinely instructed. So she literally jumped out of bed and removed her oxygen. She was standing on legs that had not supported her for years. Her vision was back, and she was no longer short of breath, even without her oxygen. Her contractions were gone, and she could move her feet and hands freely. Her mother ran into the room and dropped to her knees, feeling Barbara's calves. You have muscles again, she exclaimed. Her father came in, hugged her, and whisked her off for a waltz around the family room. Everyone moved to the living room to offer tearful prayer for Thanksgiving, though Barbara found it hard to sit still. That evening, there was a worship service at Wheaton Wesleyan Church where Barbara's family attended. Most of the congregation knew about Barbara's grave condition. During the service, when the pastor asked if anyone, if anyone had heard any of the announcements, Barbara stepped into the center aisle and casually strolled forward to the front, her heart pounding. A cacophony of whispers came from all parts of the church People started clapping. And then if led by a divine conductor, the entire congregation began to sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Barbara has now lived for 35 years with no recurrence of her illness, according to Keener. This is a documented case. And there are many other cases. That was in Strobel's book, The Case for Miracles. And there are hundreds documented in Craig Keener's book. So what do we make of this? Does this really occur? Did it really occur? Well, with so many different accounts, I think you have more faith to believe it didn't occur than to believe it did and other accounts like this. Now the question is, whether or not miracles occur today, did they really occur in New Testament times? Particularly the miracle of Christ. Because there are some Christians who are cessationists, which means they believe that miracles have ceased, at least certainly what are called the gift miracles, where people have the gift of healing, that kind of thing. They think that doesn't happen anymore. So it could be, if they're right, that miracles don't occur today. At least they don't occur through people. God can do a miracle anytime he wants, quite obviously. If he wants to heal this lady Barbara, he can. But the question is, did they occur in Jesus' day? And 
there's a viewpoint in Western culture which says, no, miracles don't occur. It's a philosophical viewpoint. It's a viewpoint that just rules them out in advance. It says that they don't, not only don't occur, that they can occur. And this goes back to David Hume. And David Hume's argument against miracles have been, has been highly analyzed. We analyze it in the book. Both, well, yeah, in the book, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I may mention it as well in Stealing from God. It turns out that Hume's argument against miracles is circular and therefore is invalid. We're not going to get into it here. We don't have enough time. I got like three minutes left. (laughs) Uh, But a lot of people still teach it as being true. And it's quite obvious that miracles can occur if God exists. The question is, does God exist? And a lot of people struggle with miracles. They have struggle, you know, they have struggles believing in which appear to be some of the more crazy events in the Bible, like Noah. I mean, can you really believe Noah and the ark? Doesn't that seem outlandish? Or Jonah. I mean, is that a whale of a tale or a tale of a whale? That seems kind of crazy. That seems like a fable, doesn't it? And of course, the resurrection. We don't see people risen from the dead. Why should we believe somebody has risen from the dead? We don't see it today. Why why should we have seen it 2,000 years ago? That's how we get at history. We assume that history works the same way then as it does now. And if we don't see them now, why, why do we believe they occurred then? Well, there's one problem, well, many problems with the theory that say miracles can't occur, is that the greatest miracle in the Bible is not the creation of the universe. The greatest miracle in the Bible is not, uh, excuse me, my dad was trying to call me as I'm doing this radio program. <laughs> I'll get back to you, dad. Um, actually, the greatest miracle in the Bible is not the resurrection or it's not uh, Jonah or it's not Noah or any of these miracles that we look at and we go, wow, that seems crazy. The greatest miracle in the Bible actually is the creation of the universe out of nothing. If the first verse of the Bible is true, every other verse is at least believable, as I've mentioned several times on this program. And it turns out that even atheists are admitting the data for the greatest miracle in the Bible, the first verse. Even people like Stephen Hawking says almost everyone now believes that the universe and time itself had a beginning at the Big Bang. Alexander Vilenkin says, with the proof now in place, cosmologists can no longer hide behind the possibility of a past eternal universe. There is now no escape. They have to face the problem of a cosmic beginning. Now, both Vilenkin and Hawking are trying to find another explanation other than God. Hawking was just in the news this week trying to say, I know what happened before the Big Bang. There was bent time and imaginary time. Well, he had that theory 40 years ago, and it was discarded then because it doesn't work, and now he's trying to bring it back. Vilenkin's trying to say there was a multiverse out there. But you know what? Even if Vilenkin is right, he admits that a multiverse needs an absolute beginning. So if there was a beginning to space, matter, and time, then whatever created space, matter, and time can't be made of space, matter, and time. In other words, the cause must be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, personal in order to choose to create, and also intelligent because in order to create, you've got to make a choice, and only intelligent beings can make choices. Now, when you think about a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, personal, intelligent cause, who do you think of? God, yes. If Genesis 1-1 is true, a resurrection is possible. The healing of Barbara is possible. Any of the other miracles that we hear about, either in modern day or antiquity, are possible. You just can't rule them out. You have to look at them at a case-by-case basis. And in future programs, we'll do some of that. 
as I say, we'll have Lee on in a couple weeks, Lee Strobel with his new book, The Case for Miracles. Maybe we'll get Craig Keener on here as well. Because miracles have occurred, ladies and gentlemen, and we can show that they've occurred by good, reliable evidence. All right, more next time, friends. Don't forget, Waycross, Georgia, tonight and tomorrow. And then next week, Vanderbilt University, and the week after that, Murray State, and also an event in Paducah, Kentucky. I'm Frank Turk. Great being with you, friends. God bless. See you next time. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.